everybody. Welcome to the Action Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me today, we got Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka my good old pal who I know is missing football almost, if not as much as me. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good. I'm enjoying this break from work. This little, um, when it was for a four day weekend for me because I took out Friday, so I'm enjoying this four day weekend. That, that sounds real nice. I worked last night, but it was a baseball game, and it was pretty cool. The hardest real part for me was just trying to make it out before they did the fireworks and stuff just because I wanted to get to my car, and I wanted to be traffic. But other than that, work's been cool. But story of everybody's life. So before we really get this show kicked off, of course, let's talk about what we're going to be talking about. With regards to football, we are going to play another game of believable or buffoonery. We are going to play a tale of two bakers and discuss which popular opinion we subscribe to the most. We're also going to talk um, NBA. With so much news going on, apparently there was a recent offer made by the seven. I'm either Pacers for Ben Simmons, and we're going to talk about if we would have taken it or not. And we're going to kind of close out the show with our NBA Finals breakdown, which is going to talk X Factor, bold predictions, and of course, we're going to pick our winner. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the XReport.net. I repeat, the XReport.net with exclusive board content written by yours truly and fellow XReport writers. Three episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled the X report. Now, this first thing kind of ties into the NFL, but it's more so about college football. As we all know, the Supreme Supreme Court uh, voted unanimously that in that uh, college athletes should be able to make money off of their likeness. And this past week, the NCAA is now allowing players to profit off their name image and likeness this is great for current college players but what about players from years past so Ethan in your opinion and it could be from any sport any year which college athlete would have made the most money if they could have gotten paid because I've been bouncing around a few but who you got for me I think it's easy I would have to go Tim Tebow either like it's either I'll be honest it's nine times out of ten it will be a football player because we know that like everybody loves college basketball, but the love of college football is like on a completely different level. So I could say either Tim Tebow, Reggie Bush, um, um, Vince Young, like I would say like one of those names off the top of my head. Tim Tebow would definitely be in my top five. But um, I'm going to go a different quarterback, played in the SEC as well. I'm saying Johnny Manziel. Love or hate Johnny Manziel? His freshman year, after he beat Alabama, everybody in their mama was talking about Johnny Manziel. Because Texas A&M, by this point, was a solid team. They were just coming off of having Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback. Johnny came in and took over. And Johnny blew the hell up. Johnny was amazing while he was at Texas A&M, besides when he played LSU. Not the point. But, I mean, just imagine how many teams, I mean, and organizations and companies would try to get his name attached to him after beating Alabama, after being the first rookie to ever, I mean, not rookie, but freshman to ever win the Heisman. Like, I feel like everyone would want him. And not to mention, 
He's a polarizing figure. Like I said, love or hate Johnny Manziel, everybody had an opinion. And so you know people are going to tune in to see what he's going to do, especially as his career progressed. It didn't work out in the NFL, but I mean in college, yeah, Johnny Manziel was the hottest thing smoking. So for me, I would say Johnny, but Reggie Bush was my second one, and then third probably would have been Tim Tebow. But I, it's funny we talk, both talk about Tim Tebow because one of his best teammates – this week announced their retirement. Wide receiver Demarius Thomas announced his retirement from the league. As we all know, his best years were spent as a Denver Bronco, but he also spent time with the New England Patriots, New York Jets, Houston Texans, bounced around a bit towards the end of his career. And he finished his career with these accolades. In 153 career games, had 777 receptions, 10,522 yards, 69 touchdowns, was a five-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, uh, second team, five-time AFC West champion, two-time AFC champion, and as the Broncos stated, one of the best receivers in Broncos history, and even got great um, hype from Peyton Manning himself, who called, who said, "I never played with anybody as big, strong, powerful, and fast as Demarius Thomas." So at Demarius Thomas's prime. Where would you say he ranked among the 2010s receivers? Um, among the 2010s, talking about the decade? Yeah. Like, in um, prime DT, where does he rank? I would put him somewhere in, like, the 20 to 25 range. Really? I would say, I would definitely say top 15, somewhere in that range, because especially – when Peyton got there, he was one of the best wideouts in the league. I would say, especially before the emergence of like Antonio Brown, he was definitely up there. I know as you progress the um towards the end of the decade, of course, he's gonna fall off a bit. But I say in his prime, I would definitely go top fifteen. But let's talk about a team that has not been in its prime in over two decades. The Dallas Cowboys, who were named to be HBO's choice for hard knocks this season. Personally, I would have rather had a different team. I think you and I both agreed on that when we uh, picked which team we would want to see. But what is one storyline that you are most interested in ahead of this next season of hard knocks? Um, man, honestly, just the integration of that and how he comes back from an injury. Like, I'm nowhere near a Cowboys fan, but I'm actually a fan a slight fan of Dak Prescott just because of like the adversity he overcame, him being in Mississippi State, like being an underdog for the majority of his um, college career. And I think just to see him come back from that gruesome injury, because I mean, I watched the game when it happened and I almost threw up when I saw it. So that's probably really the only storyline that I would have any interest in. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with the different storyline. I'm going to put it on the defensive side of the ball, particularly the linebacker conversation. I mean, they just drafted Jabril Cox and Micah Parsons, not to mention they signed Keanu Neal, who's going to be playing linebacker. They're talking about potentially trading Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith, and Smith has been arguably the best defensive player that they have had over the last couple of years. So I'm really interested to see how that dynamic is going to work. Is there going to be a bit of tension between the new guys and the older guys? Will Jalen Smith be traded? Will we be able to see that trade take place? Like, I'm really interested to see that how that is going to take place because, truthfully, if 
we're being honest of the between the defensive line, linebackers, and the quarters and slash secondary. I feel like the linebackers have potential to be the best group on the defense. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see who are the linebackers by the time the season rolls around and they start the year off against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But speaking of another team that was in the hunt to be the team for hard knocks, let's talk to Arizona Cardinals, who uh, quarterback Kyler Murray had big things to say for new wide receiver A.J. Green. He said, I expect A.J. to have a big year, Murray said. I know a lot of people are sleeping on him. I know a lot of things have been said about him maybe not being able to do it anymore. I'm glad he's on the team. Ethan, do you expect a big year out of A.J. Green in the desert, or do you think that his best years are behind him? I think he can have a solid year. The fact is, since, for one, he's amassed the numerous amount of injuries throughout the course of his career, but every time that he came back, he was expected to be the number one wide receiver. And I think this is a situation where he's coming into He's not expected to be the guy. He's not expected to be the number one. That's DeAndre Hopkins, and we, I think he could very well benefit in a similar situation to what we talked about in the earlier, uh, earlier days of, like, Juju. Like, Juju isn't a number one wideout, but he can perform great next to a true number one wideout. And I think that if you put A.J. Green in this situation, if he's healthy, he can, I feel like he can still be number two corners and make take advantage of those matchups. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that this could definitely be a year where he can get close to maybe like nine hundred yards, seven or eight touchdowns. But like you mentioned, like injuries have really been piling up for AJ over the last few years, which has been unfortunate because we talk some of the best guys in the 2010s, he was up there. A.J. Green, healthy, was definitely one of the top wideouts in the league. And as a Ravens fan, I saw him all too often. And so being watching his decline is kind of sucked. But I do think that, like you said, having D-Hop there is going to be really helpful. I still don't really trust their run game that much, especially because it's looking like um, – What's his name? James Conner is going to be their starter after these past few years. I don't really trust that. But I think that with Kyler Murray there and just his ability to extend plays and then, of course, having D-Hop there, I think he can create opportunities for A.J. Um, I don't think he's going to have, like, a stellar year, like, oh, my gosh, he's back. But I do think that he's going to have a really productive year, especially better than the last two years where he had 694 in 2018 and then uh, 523 in 2020. But in terms of talking comebacks, we have to talk Brandon Jacobs, who, if as we all remember, after Tim Tebow signed with the Jags as a tight end, Brandon Jacobs was saying he felt like he could make the move to defensive end. Well, apparently a few other teams believe him, and he said that so far he's heard from three teams interested in bringing him in as a defensive end. So I'm not going to ask you to pick three teams, but what is one team that you could actually see want to bring him in?
show like towards the end of the season. So I can see the Raiders, especially with the way like they aren't afraid. It's an organization. To me, they're saying like it's not afraid to make like a a gutsy move like that is bringing back Brandon Jacobs to play the end. Um, we know that they have a um, passionate fan base that isn't afraid to do things that's out of the norm. So I would say the Raiders. I could potentially see the Raiders. I love that they got Yannick um, Ngakwe this past offseason. And I think that Carl Nassif has been a solid addition for them. Uh, Max Crosby kind of took a step back. But, I mean, you can never have too many edge rushers. And, plus, most of the edge rushers are fairly young. So, who's to say bringing in a veteran like Brandon Jacobs, if not for any other reason, would just be a leadership move? But, for me, I think why not keep it, take, go too far away from home? And I'm going to say the New York Jets. I mean, the New York Giants. Reason being, they're a team that they just uh, drafted Aziz Ojolari. Their defensive line looks pretty solid, but in terms of just straight edge rushers, they don't really have that. And I think that bringing in a Brandon Jacobs, like I said, he's familiar with the organization. He was there for several years, won championships with this team. I think he could really be a leader for them. Does he? Would he really see a snap? Who knows? The NFL is unpredictable, and injuries can happen at any time. Or at least he could just be there as a decoy and set up other positions for his teammates. But I can see the Giants potentially being one to make that move. But uh, keeping up in the northeastern region of the country, the New England Patriots continue to have drama with Stephon Gilmore, who continues to make it clear that he is disappointed with his current contract status. Um, as recently as this week, he posted on Twitter a list of the top 10 highest paid defensive backs in the NFL. So, Ethan, I'm going to go through this list, and you're going to let me know how many of these cats do you feel really should be making more money than Stephon Gilmore. So, number one, Jalen Ramsey. Two, Marlon Humphrey. Three, Tredavious White. Darius Slay is four. Byron Jones is five. Xavier Howard is six. James Bradbury is seven. Uh, Marcus Peters is eight. Trey Waynes is eight. And William Jackson, uh, I'm sorry, Marcus and Trey Waynes are tied at eight. And then William Jackson is 10th. Now, the highest range of contract, of course, Jalen Ramsey is making $20 million a year, while 10, William Jackson is making $13.5 million a year. Um, I would say the first three. Jalen Ramsey, um, Shadavia's White, and Marlon Humphrey. Humphrey. Yeah. Those are the only guys that I can see make, that deserve to make more money than Stephon Gilmore. Exactly. And I'm pulling up his contract right now to see how much money on average he makes. Oh, crap. Yeah, this year he's only slated to get $7 million. So, yeah, he. I understand his frustration. Yeah, pretty much like you said, I think with the year that he's coming off of, Xavier Howard definitely has an argument, even though I don't think he's better personally than Stephon Gilmore. So, yeah, I mean, I totally understand his frustrations with this deal. But, yeah, I mean, aside from the first three, I think Stephon should be up there. Darius Slay, who I love. I mean, last year was not terrible, but it, he's not better than Stephon Gilmore, and I can't really say any of the other cats on this list are either. So, yeah, no, I'm in agreement with you. Besides the first three, I think, uh, I think it's pretty clear that Stephon Gilmore should make more money than these other players. But speaking of a player trying to make money, we got to talk Devontae Adams, who is in line to get a big contract extension from the um, from the Green Bay Packers. But former college, college teammate Derek Carr says he would like to see him um, in Las Vegas throwing to him. In fact, there's a quote. I think it would unlock some things in both of us that people haven't seen yet. 
I will be recruiting very hard. When that times come, it will be a full court press. Um, he said, I know that he's obviously the best receiver. Everyone says one of the best. And he feels like Devontae is the best in the NFL. In response to that, Devontae said, it will be a dream to pay, play with him. I'm a Packer now until the point we make that decision. So, could you realistically see Devontae Adams joining the Raiders if he does not sign with the Packers? And if so, how does he elevate the Raiders? I definitely can see him going there, especially I think this decision really hinges upon if they, if Aaron, I'm sorry, if Aaron Rodgers is still a Packer. I feel like if Aaron Rodgers is still the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, Devontae Adams is staying put. He basically he has the reigning MVP. He's still, in my opinion, one of the top three best quarterbacks in the NFL. So I would say if Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay. Jared Goff, who, believable or buffoonery, 
The Detroit Lions say he is not a bridge quarterback, and they are expecting him to be the next quarterback of the future. He is the franchise. Believable or buffoonery, the Lions will stick with Jared Goff long term. Um, I think it's buffoonery simply because I don't know Jared Goff's exact age. I mean, Jared Goff's exact age, but I'm pretty sure he's closer to 30 than he is like 22. He's 26. He'll, he'll be 20. He'll be 27 in October, so he's still fairly young. So he's still fairly young, but he still can show signs of improvement. But I also think that one thing that we we at least noticed when he played for the Rams is. Jared Goff, in my opinion, was a system quarterback. Like, once he was able to have all of his weapons and they had the offensive system installed and in place, he was lights out. But he doesn't have nearly the amount of talent that they have in Los Angeles in Detroit. And with that, you don't, are you going to be able to instill a type of offensive system that, you know, he can replicate his production in? I highly doubt it. I think he'll be a guy that might be the Yeah, for this one, I'm like, I'm borderline because on the one hand, I could find it believable just depending on this season. Like, if they have a season where they win six games, honestly, if I'm Detroit, I consider that a win, especially with how many pieces you lost, the look of your roster compared to the other rosters in the NFC North. So I would be I would be cool with that. I really just think that it just comes down to if he's not the biggest problem next year, I don't think that they just automatically make a change. Because I think that there are so many other holes on the roster that it's like Jared Goff isn't even the biggest problem. So I don't, at least for the next few years, I think that he can be there, especially if he just plays. If he does just enough, I think that he can still have a spot on the team, and I think he can be the quarterback. But I think that if he has a year where he plays like trash or is holding them back, then I could definitely see them um, getting a new quarterback. Like, for example, if they have the first overall pick this upcoming year, I would not be surprised if they went by way of quarterback, depending on who's available. So it just depends on how this season shakes out. But overall, I, I kind of find it a bit believable that they don't see him as a bridge. I think that they actually do have faith in him, which God bless Detroit. But then again, in terms of football, they really don't have that much to have faith in. So I'm just going to let them have that. All right, let's talk about another team who has not been given many reasons for faith in the last few years. But since drafting Joe Burrow, things have changed a bit. Uh, Rob Ninkovich on Get Up ESPN had this to say with regards to predictions about Cincinnati. He said Cincinnati is going to be a great offense and Joe Burrow is going to be the next big guy in the NFL. Let's E, let's specify that a little bit. Believable or buffoonery, the Cincinnati Bengals are poised to have a top 10 offense this season. I think it's believable. Um, before Joe Burrow got hurt, he was putting up good numbers. Like, he was probably going to win rookie of the year. And now you add in the fact that he has his old teammate and a true number one wide receiver in Jamar Chase. Like, I could definitely see them being poised to potentially make a run in the top 10 offense. I don't think that would say for them, they might want to try to look into adding a tight end. I don't exactly know who they have at tight end, but 
Yeah, I find it believable as well. I mean, like you said, when Joe Burrow was healthy, he was having a tremendous year. We saw even when Joe Burrow went out that T. Higgins was legit. Tyler Boyd is a very good receiver. And then Jamar Chase. I mean, we haven't seen them take an NFL snap yet. But if we're based, based off what we've seen from him uh, and Joe back at LSU, I'm very excited to see how that shakes out. So I find it believable. If anything, I kind of have questions on Joe Mixon just because I don't – I don't love Joe Mixon as much as everybody else seems to. Like, I don't really see him as a top 10 back. And he gets talked about like he's like top seven or better. And I just I just don't see that. Um, but not to say he's bad or anything. There are worse backs. But I just don't have that much faith in him. So, if anything, I think that would be the biggest question with regards to the offense. But I do think that, especially if their offensive line can just do its job, I think that this really can be an offense that will be outstanding. So, yeah, I think it's – I find it believable. All right, let's talk – you mentioned tight ends. Well, Greg Olsen has some things to say about the tight end position too with regards to them being disrespected. He said, we have to do so much shit that $15 million left tackle has to do and run routes against the same guy that $15 million wide receivers have to run routes against, and they're going to pay us $7 million. And – to be fair, he does have a bit of a point. Um, Kyle Pitts recently signed his uh, rookie contract, and he is making more guaranteed money at $32.9 million than John o. Smith, Hunter Henry, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey. So, believable or buffoonery, tight ends are the most disrespected position in all of football in terms of pay. And then there's ones that are just there. Like for every George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, there are a million. Um, I don't want to throw, you know, Blake Jarwins. There's a million of those. There are very few tight ends that really stand out. And so that's why cats like, uh, for example, John o. Smith, he just got the bag. He's, I think he's the second highest in terms of guaranteed money for a, a tight end. Not because he's better than George Kittle, not because he's better than Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller, but just because there aren't that many tight ends who can really affect a game the way that like wide receivers can, like a left tackle can. So they, the ones who are great, they end up getting that money. And I think that for Greg Olson, I think it's a bit different just because when he played that's how much tight ends were making. Tight ends are starting to see more money now than they were before just because they're not just being those blockers. They're now so being seen as wide receivers too. But I do kind of understand his point in terms of tight ends should make more money. Because, I mean, you remember uh, Jimmy Graham. 
his contract disputes with the Saints because he wanted to get paid like a wide receiver. But they were talking to blowball him into like lower less money because he was technically a tight end. So in that in that retrospect, I can see Greg Olson's argument. But in terms of the most devalued position in like football in general, I would probably say safeties. But in terms of pay, I do see what he's saying about tight ends. But all right, last week we talked about should the Browns be in a rush to pay Baker. And we were in a disagreement. You said yes, I said no. Well, it seems that the media overall is also split on Baker. So I'm going to read you two opinions from analysts, and you're going to tell me which one you agree with the most. So the first was from Emmanuel Acho, former NFL linebacker, who had this to say about Baker. He said, Baker Mayfield deserves as much money as Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. The second opinion comes from Mike Tannenbaum, who on Get Up ESPN said, Baker Mayfield is very much a replaceable part. He's had one productive season out of three. That is not greatness. At best, he's the fifth best quarterback in the AFC. So between those opinions, which one do you agree with the most? Without a doubt. Like, if you want to talk resumes, let's be honest. Lamar Jackson is coming off of an MVP year. I mean, had an MVP year. Been to the playoffs every year he's been on the team. And Josh Allen, last two years, has made the playoffs. Was second in MVP voting last year. Had a major jump from his second to third year. Baker Mayfield's best year, you could argue, was last year. And even then, he was not the most important part of the Browns. I truly think that with the Browns roster, if they just have a quarterback who does not mess up, they could make the playoffs. And with Baker Mayfield, you don't know if he's going to mess up or if he's just going to do his job. So in terms of me thinking he makes, he deserves as much money as Lamar and Josh Allen, hell no. But I do think he's pretty replaceable. I think that if you take Lamar off the Ravens right now, do you, they make the playoffs if they just sign Kirk Cousins? Do you, they really are they as good or better than they are with Lamar Jackson? Um, I can see them still making the playoffs, but I don't think they will be better. Same for the same question for the Bills. They take you swap Kirk Cousins for. Uh, Josh Allen. Are they as good or better with the player like Kirk Cousins? Oh, that works. Exactly. And so you put Kirk Cousins on the Browns. Are they better or as good with Baker? Because I say they'd be better. I say, I say they, they would be as good with the potential to be better. So with that being said, like, like pretty much the main reason why I say that is just because I feel like Baker is replaceable. You take, you move Lamar or Josh Allen, the only way that this team is going to be better is if you find a quarterback on par, if not better. Whereas with Baker Mayfield, his game is not such a huge part of the team to where if you take him off, it's just going to be a significant decline. I don't see that in Baker. And so, yeah. So, yeah, I think I, excuse me, I agree more with the latter opinion. But, all right, let's play – I mean, let's play. We're not there yet, but let's talk some basketball. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three takeaways are, um, I think these NBA Finals is going to further redefine Chris Paul's legacy, especially if he wins it. Number two, um, 
probably the second greatest Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde in the, in the, in the NBA. And number one, is Giannis going to be healthy enough to return for the NBA Finals? Yeah, I feel you on that. Um, all right, so Mamba Players of the Week. Speaking of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, Chris Middleton is my Mamba Player of the Week. I mean, he is a hard guy to trust, but when he plays well, he plays great, and he stepped up fairly well since Giannis has been hurt. I mean, they won the games that they needed to do, drop 32 in an elimination game, drop 26 and 13 in the game to tie, to get the lead in the series. I mean, that's what you got to do. When your best player goes down, you have to be able to step up, and that's what Chris Middleton has done. So he's my Eastern Mamba of the week. Yeah, I have to go with Chris Middleton also, simply because, like you said, he, he stepped up big in the absence of Giannis, and he was a major factor in them making it to the finals. And keeping in the theme of the Chris's, I mean, I can't go with anybody else from my Western Mamba outside of Chris Paul. I mean, one thing about Kobe Bryant is when it's the clutch time, when he knows he needs to put you away, he's going to put you away. Like Giannis said, we didn't play with our food, and neither did Chris Paul in the uh, last game against the Clippers, dropped 41 points, which easily led the team. Four rebounds, eight assists, three steals, no turnovers. Literally just had that apex predator game that you look for in a veteran like Chris Paul, who the more and more he plays, particularly in the playoffs, it shocks you to think this is his 16th year. So he's got to be my mom of the week. Yeah, I also have to say Chris Paul, he had a – he turned back the clock and had a vintage performance. Like you said, 41 points. ASD is three seed. It was three steals, four rebounds, zero turnovers. That's when you think about it. If you if you were hear those stats associated with Chris Paul, you would think that would be him in maybe New Orleans or for the Clippers, but not in year sixteen. So I definitely have to go with Chris Paul. All right, so let's talk about a team that is trying to turn back the clock in terms of getting back to their winning ways, and that's the Warriors. You and I both kind of talked about after about it after the lottery results were posted about how we would be shocked that they ended up keeping one of their picks. Well, it seems that a lot of executives are inclined to think the same thing. Um, as of right now, there is an expectation that the Warriors will use their seventh round pick, I mean seventh overall pick, and James Wiseman to upgrade their roster for a player, potentially a big. So it seems like a lot of people are expecting them to make this move, but which player do you think they're going to make it for? Um, being honest, I just see Giannis rather shoulders simply because he is, in my personal opinion, he's one of the most, he's one of the more underrated bigs in the NBA. He averaged, if I'm not mistaken, he averaged like 15 and 12, or it was somewhere he averaged the double-double, he was top four. Top five in rebounding, and he's the type of guy that a team like the Warriors could utilize because he's a veteran presence. You don't have to worry about integrating him. He's the type of guy that can just step in and he can be a walking double double. I mean, he does it for the Grizzlies on a nightly basis. I like to see him go because, I mean, he was young as probably turned his hand, but he's the type of guy that you can insert. He also can bring the element that this war, that the Warriors team has never had. Like, a real low post presence. Like, yes, we know that Stephen Clay went healthy there amazing. Yes, we know the 
they forty two in talents and Draymond. But the one thing that they've never had in Georgia State is when a guy that when it's a grinded out game, like they stay still and clay shot aren't falling at the normal frequency that we're used to seeing. You can throw it in the John Jonas. He can muck the game up. He can play physical. And he can get you points down low. And then you can also spread. And then from there, you can play an inside-out game. So I would probably say Jonas. I would say Cat. Uh, the reason I go Cat is, let's be honest, Minnesota has no direction whatsoever. They don't know what they're doing. And if they try to say that they do, they're a liar. And while Cat has been their best player since he's been drafted, he's not a player that's really helped them to be better. So I think that if push came to shove and they got the right offer, I could see them moving him, and I think that Golden State will be a really good fit. Not only is he a solid defender, but also he has range, which is something that the Warriors appreciate more than any other team in the league. I think that with him not having to be the top guy, that's going to help elevate his game a lot. Not to mention being surrounded by winners and people who are motivated to win. I think that that can really really boost him up to recognizing that, oh, winning is important. Being on a losing team is not something that indicates you as a loser. So I think that it will work out for both sides, whereas the Warriors get a perfect fit for their team. They upgrade their center position. No disrespect to James Wiseman. It's just, like they said, they don't got time to develop. They want to win now. And I think that getting a player like Cat, who is clearly a top five center in the league, is a clear improvement and helps to make them stronger ahead of the upcoming playoff race um, in 2022. But, all right, so let's talk about – we talking winners – we got to talk about Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen. And while normally that would probably be a good thing, in this case it is not. Because uh, Scottie Pippen has really just went out on a revenge tour to promote his new book. And it looks like uh, Phil Jackson is next on his hit list. Um, in a recent interview with Dan Patrick, they co- talked about um, Scottie. I mean, not Scottie. Uh, they talked about Phil Jackson, and this was a conversation. Uh, so they talked about... Phil Jackson's decision not to give Scottie Pippen that final shot. And Dan Patrick asked him, by saying a racial move, then you're calling Phil Jackson a racist. Scottie replied with, I don't got a problem with that. Dan Patrick asked, do you think that Phil was or is? And Scottie said, yeah. So we weren't there. None of us were in that locker room. But do you really think that Phil Jackson is racist, or do you think that Scottie Pippen is still crying about something that happened over 20 years ago? Uh, this is difficult simply because I'm of the opinion of, like, I don't always, as a black, I'm one of those black men that whenever something doesn't go my way as far as dealing with um, our white counterparts, I don't always want to shout them being racist. Like, I'm a person that thinks, like, you know, maybe they could just not be a good person. Or um, maybe it could be a bad, they could be in a bad mood and those things. And the, re- the reality is, like, Phil Jackson has shown no signs of being a racist. So it was hard for me to agree with it. And it's also the thing of it is, like, there's a very real reality that sometimes people could be racist and they don't know it. Like, they show actions of they show actions of um, being a racist in because they still feel like they think a certain way like they don't realize that they are racist and the reality is is I doubt it but I wouldn't be surprised if he actually was or he could just be one of those individuals that's completely ignorant 
that more so being the thing just because if you are racist, the NBA is the worst place for you to be because you are going to be surrounded by black people or people of color. It's just a fact. And so I don't want to, I'm not using that as an excuse of like, oh, well, there's no way Phil Jackson can be racist, racist. But I think that if Scottie Pippen is trying to say that that one play is the reason why Scott, why um, Phil Jackson is racist, I think that that's like, excuse me, I think that that's bad judgment. I think that that's going to kind of discredit whatever argument you have because it's going to be like, well, you just seems like you're salty. And plus, I think that after all this time, Phil Jackson has retired. Phil Jackson is not coming back. I think that somebody else would have said it too. I feel like if he truly was racist or if he had racist tendencies, I feel like people would have brought it up. Because he played with, I mean, he worked with some pretty big personalities. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, um, Metal World Peace, a.k.a. Ron Artest. Huh? Exactly, Shaq. I feel like at least one of those cats would have been like, no, he's racist. But it seems to just be Scotty. But one thing that um, I had actually completely forgotten about until I heard about this was, I don't know if you remember this, but Phil Jackson was talking about LeBron James and was talking about uh, the people he, his or his management team, and he called them a posse. And it was, yeah, and it was one of those questions of, well, if this was a white man who used his friends, like as his management group, would you call them a posse? So, not saying that I think Phil Jackson is right. I think it might be one of those he's just old-fashioned and, like you said, doesn't really recognize his privilege or he doesn't really recognize why what he said sounded bad. But we don't. I don't know Phil Jackson personally, but I'll just say that I think that if he truly was racist, I think that more people would have said something about it. More than just Scottie Pippen, especially with Scottie's been running his mouth I think he came for Charles Barkley recently, too. Like, he's been coming at everybody, so it's hard to really determine what's fact and what is him just trying to get some clout. But uh, we, you mentioned Shaq, and we're going to talk about Shaq. Now, after this most recent season, the shortened season where so many players have gotten injured, of course, most recently, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Trey Young, that was Kawhi. Like, it's been a lot of people going down in the playoffs. Um, a lot of players, most notably LeBron James, have spoken out about how bad the structure of this season was. Well, Shaq called out players complaining about the season and – after I read the quote, we're going to determine if we think he's right. He said, I don't make excuses. Real people are working their tail off, and all we got to do is train two hours a day, play a game for two more hours at night, and make a lot of money. 40 million people have been laid off, and I'm making 200 million. I play back to back to back to back. So, does Shaq have a point with regards to players complaining about the schedules, or do you think he's wrong? Um, I think he does have a point simply because the reality is these guys are multi-millionaires playing a game. There is, and it's like you stated, it's a lot of people that, been, that have been laid off throughout the course of this year because of COVID. And, like, for the guys, the one percenters, as you might say, to complain about the fact that they, and yes, I understand that the game of basketball takes a grueling toll on your body and you need time to recover and, and things of that nature. But it's one of those situations where it's like, you have a job to do, you just, just come to work. And like, I also don't want to just nullify the fact that they complain because I mean, the reality 
feel that. I mean, I think it. I agree. I'm kind of on the fence with it as well because it's like I can understand the players' frustration mainly because we're seeing players fall down like flies. We're seeing players repeatedly get injured, and I'm sure a large part of it had to do with not being able to have that off season. So players do have a have a legitimate gripe, but I mean. Like you said, I mean, two hours a game, two hours to um, train. And that's just talking about the players who actually play. That's not even focusing on the hundreds of players who barely even see the court. So with that being said, I do think that Shaq has a point. I think that it is kind of easy to lose perspective once you kind of get into a certain world and you forget there's a whole other aspect of life that you could be living and that other people are living. But I do think that players still do have a right to kind of have a, especially with this season, I think that they do have a right to have an issue with it. Um, I think, I'll say this, as opposed to like past complaints about the schedule, I think that this is one time when the player's like, yeah, no, this is, this is getting a bit ridiculous. But in terms of one player, let's talk Donovan Mitchell, who, as we all know, is great. But he plays in Utah, and Utah is one of the smallest markets in all of sports, which is something that is not lost upon by the ownership team, particularly Dwayne Wade, who apparently is seriously concerned about Donovan Mitchell's desire to stay long-term in Utah. Dwayne Wade believes Donovan Mitchell wants to leave. So if not now, do you think it is realistic to think that Donovan Mitchell will be trying to leave Utah in the near future? Yes, simply because it's a small market. I hate to go that route because my favorite team is a small market team. But, I mean, Memphis is truthfully a bigger market than Utah. Yeah, but but it's a small market, and the reality is, is I think one of the things that might push Donovan Mitchell to me is, like, him being a black man and being so having so much pride in his blackness. Like hearing the things that fans in Utah have said to other men of color and his fellow brothers, like for me personally, like if I were a professional athlete and I were to know that that was to happen, like this is for me, it's one of those situations where it's like, okay, they don't do it to me, but it still doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, because they'll turn on you in a minute. Yeah, and it's like, okay, if I have a bad game or whatever, like say we're in game seven of the NBA finals and I miss the game when it's shot. Like, who's to say that they won't flip their opinion and call me whatever they call whoever's on the opposing team? So I think that has a major influence. And I just think that, honestly, like, I think it's just one of those situations where Donovan can probably also market him. Like, he has a big marketing um, approach currently while he's in Utah. But let's say a couple years from now, you know, he leaves Utah and he goes to Miami if they don't sign any like major superstar in this upcoming offseason. And even if they do, you still find a way to sign him. Like, he's already considered, he's already called DUA 2.0. You can legit play something off of that. I'm pretty, even though Dwayne Wade is a part, um, part owner of the Jazz, everyone knows his heart's in Miami when yeah, it comes to basketball. So it's like you can play that, and it's like there's so many marketing opportunities that you can potentially have, like in a city like Miami. So I can definitely see them leaving. Yeah, I can see them leaving too. I mean, you pretty much touched on everything in terms of like racially. So I won't. 
beat that drum again. But I'll just say in terms of being frustrated as a player, like this year, you guys are the number one seed. Even though you did get hurt and then you come back in the playoffs and you are balling, you are giving everything you got to give. And your teammates just don't carry their own weight. They are not there fighting with you. It feels like you are the only person on the court fighting. And that would drive anybody insane. And one could argue, well, Donovan Mitchell is young, so he may have a little bit more patience for it. But once you get older, you're not going to want to keep staying with a team that you don't really see a future in, that does not really see much hope of winning the championship. Because, hell, let's be honest, that's what happened with Chris Paul. He was amazing in New Orleans, but it didn't really happen. It happened with LeBron in Cleveland. It just was not happening. Kevin Garnett with Minnesota. The great players, you're bound to get frustrated. Because it'd be one thing if he was playing like Ben Simmons in the playoffs and was their best player in the regular season but was a liability in the playoffs. In that retrospect, it's like, well, you're a part of the problem. But Donovan Mitchell is not that cat. He's not one of those guys who was just sitting in the wings. Like, he is a great player. And I think that as time goes by, unless the team makes serious strides, I don't really see it being a team that's going to be in championship contention. And for a player who is championship caliber, nobody's going to want to deal with that. And there's one more thing to mention kind of about the small market thing. Because you remember during the All-Star break when LeBron and uh, KD were picking the teams and Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell were the last two picks. Like, and they tried to pull the well when we were in school, when we were younger. Nobody picked Utah. I feel like that could be something that kind of sticks with you because Donovan Mitchell had been balling out. But I get because it's Utah, nobody cares. And after a while, you're gonna want somebody to care about your contributions to the league. Like people are, you're gonna want to care because let's be honest, Memphis is not as good of a team as Utah. But I can assure you, when it comes to highlights, when it comes to storylines, I hear more about Memphis than I hear Utah. And I think that that can be something that's gonna weigh at a player, especially as they get older and they're starting to see other guys who aren't better than them get more attention. But let's talk about, a, I mentioned uh, Ben Simmons. Well, he's going to come up in conversation right now because the Indiana Pacers have actually recently made an offer uh, to get him. They offered a first-round pick in Malcolm Brogdon to the Sixers in exchange for Ben Simmons, but the 76ers said no. If you were Philly, would you have accepted this trade or declined? as well just because yeah everybody's been riding big and Simmons but I mean you can get more for Ben Simmons than like you said a Malcolm Brogdon who's not a bad player but if you put him on the 76ers right now is he really the second best player is he really better than Tobias Harris I would say no 
So with that being said, if I'm the Pacers, I'm not Pacers, I'm the 76ers too, I'm trying to get more. Because while Ben Simmons is Ben Simmons, you can still get more than what the Pacers were offering. I think that it was a low ball deal, and I think that there are going to be many more deals to come that are going to be better than that one. No disrespect to uh, Malcolm Brogdon because he's good, but I'm sure they're hoping to get something better. Uh, speaking of a player who is good but seeking something better, uh, Mr. Dennis Schroeder is slated to be a free agent this year and is reportedly expecting a deal worth 100 to $120 million. That's a bit far-fetched if you ask me, especially in terms of what he just did this year. But how big do you think Schroeder's market is going to be if he sticks at this asking price? I think it's going to be extremely small simply because, like you just stated, the last, the last image that any the NBA fans and executives had of Dennis Schroeder was him not stepping up in the playoffs, him streaking in the biggest moment. And that's one of those things where it lasts, and that's some things, that's things that people take into consideration when offering contracts. So I definitely don't think it'll be a big market. I think he's shot. I understand a lot of times, you know, a lot of players, they bet on themselves and they come out on the right side of things. But I think this was a situation where he bet on himself and he let himself down. Oh, yeah. I don't see, I don't see any, in any way where he could potentially get a price tag that be attached to his name. Yeah, I don't think it happens either. Um, and I think that, like you said, I understand you want to bet on yourself, but what have you done? Realistically, what have you done in your whole career to warrant a hundred to $120 million deal? And, like, play basketball players get a lot of money. There are a lot of cats who make a lot more money than one would think they should get. But I think that when, it, when you get to triple digits, it's like, all right, what have you really done? Like, I feel like if the Lakers were coming off a championship going into the offseason, then he would have more of an argument. But they're leaving a first-round exit. He did not do anything really to help them stay in the playoffs, fell off. There were times when he could have and should have stepped up, especially when LeBron and AD got hurt, and he didn't do that. So I think that he's kind of – he's um I understand the confidence, but I just – I don't think that's happening. But speaking of confidence, a few players exuded more than eh. Allen Iverson, who is a beloved player for most true basketball fans, including Jason Tatum. And in a recent interview, uh, Jason Tatum said was asked that what team he would want to play for that was, quote-unquote, before his time. And he said, probably AI with Philly in 2001, because all he was missing was one more guy. Now, first things first, he would not have helped AI. Allen Iverson win a championship against the Lakers with Kobe and Shaq. That was not going to happen, but it would have been cool to see it. So it also begged the question, which former and former player and current player duo would you have most wanted to see? That would have been a cool pairing. 
Uh, for me, I don't have three. I got one, but it's like a specific year. I would pair Jimmy Butler with the 08 Lakers, particularly Kobe, because when they went to the finals that year, Kobe said it many times. He talked about with the locker room. We played soft. They out-muscled us. They out-bullied us. They wanted it more. And one thing is for certain, if just one player on that team wants it and it doesn't seem like everybody else wants it, you're not going to win, regardless of how great that player is. So I think it would have been a lot of fun to pair Kobe and Jimmy Bugger, those two intense, going to give you everything they got in 48 minutes, going to go for it offensively, defensively. I think that would have been really fun to watch in 2008. I don't know if they would have beat the Celtics. Me being biased, I, I say they would have won. But I think that it would have been a really dope pairing just because just to see those two guys fight for it and Kobe would have got someone who he felt like wanted it as much as he did. But those three pairings would be fun. AI AI and uh, Joel and B, especially this year, that would be that would have been sick. They would be in the finals if you ask me. But I was playing believable or buffoonery. Speaking of the Lakers, let's keep talking about it. Now, Colin Coward um, said this. He would trade Anthony Davis for Damian Lillard and justify it as you get a true superstar and the Anthony Davis health issues go away. Believable or buffoonery, the Lakers should trade Anthony Davis to get Damian Lillard. I call buffoonery. I call buffoonery also simply because, yes, you could get away from the Anthony Davis injury concern, but the reality is, is with that team, the way that team is constructed, you would need Anthony Davis's presence because he's way he's a generational talent. Davis is a generational talent also, but AD is a generational talent on both ends of the floor, and you can do a lot more with that than just having an offensive juggernaut. And the reality is, it's like you put Dame on the Lakers, and you basically putting another situation where it's just LeBron and Kyrie. Because you're going to have two guys that are going to need the ball in their hands. I think that Dame now is better than Kyrie, than when Kyrie was in Cleveland with LeBron. But um, I think that you would need to pair like a Dame, LeBron, and AD if you were going to pursue Damian Lillard. Yeah, I, I agree. It's buffoonery. And plus, because you're just going to find yourself with the same problems you just had if you make this move. Like, pre-LeBron coming in, LeBron is not going to play forever, especially if this year is indicative of him on a decline. Damian Lillard is a great player, but he is also getting up there in age. There's no saying how much longer he's going to play. And then that doesn't even factor in who's going to be your big. So I just think that the Lakers will find themselves in that same situation they were just in where they don't really have much plan for the future. With regard, But with AD, they do have their guy of the future. They do have someone that they can build around long term. So, yeah. I say I'm calling buffoonery on that, too. All right, let's talk John Morant. And he was asked about the dunk contest. He and what would it take for him to get in it. He said, I just need some good competition, number one. Don't need no biased judges, and then I'll be in the dunk contest. Believable or buffoonery, John Morant will do the dunk contest in 2022. Um, I can see. I think it's very believable simply because... He's a rising star. He's a competitor, and he's the, he has freakish athleticism. And he's the type of guy that's made for the dunk contest. Like, all I know, over recent years, the greatest dunk contest was Aaron Gordon versus Zach 
They gotta like, jump high. Yeah, they have to jump high. They have to actually like they show bunnies. Like when you're six nine and you have a forty inch vertical, it looks different than being six two and having a forty inch vertical. So I can definitely see him doing it. Maybe especially if Zion gets involved in it, I can see him definitely stepping up and doing it this year. Yeah, I can see it too. If not for any reason, just getting everybody wants to know when Jai's gonna do the dunk contest. And low key, we talked about marketability. Just imagine the marketability that Ja would bring to Memphis and the Grizzlies if not only he participates, but if he wins. Like, if you're a small market, the best thing that you can have is one good players and two good players who bring in exposure to your team. And so if he was to compete, I think it would put even more eyes on Memphis and the Grizzlies. So I could see it happening, especially if he can kind of convince other players to want to do it too. I think it would be fun. All right, so next piece, we've been a bit retro this episode. We're going back to MJ and Reggie Miller. We all know Reggie Miller with the Indiana Pacers, a late rival for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, He said this in a recent interview. He said, if Michael Jordan would have called me and tried to sway me to come to Chicago, I would have told him to go fuck himself. Believable or buffoonery, uh, Reggie Miller would have passed on the chance to join the Bulls in the 90s. I just believe and the reason I say that is because this is a gener- this is a generation back then of players that they didn't want to play with each other. They wanted to be each other. Like the only way that um, quote unquote super teams were formed, they were formed the old fashioned way with draft picks and things of that nature. It was in a situation where it's like, oh, you know, Reggie the free agent, let me give him a call and let him come to the Bulls. Like they would. Yeah, I would say so too. Like you said, it was a completely different era. Like superstars weren't just teaming up. Like the Bills, I mean not the Bills, sorry, the Bulls were pretty much bred and built from within. The only player who was not already there for the long haul was Dennis Rodman. But by that point, they were still already having a lot of success. So yeah, I, I find it believable. I don't think that Reggie Miller would have jumped shit. Plus, I mean, it I feel like I don't care what any player says. I feel like a championship means more if you are the best player on the team. Like, it's great to win one, but if you know that you're the best player on that team and you help lead your team to it, I just think that it holds more weight. And I think that it would have went way, meant way more for Reggie Miller to win a championship in Indiana than it would have if he would have just jumped ship and joined the Bulls. But let's talk Paul George. Oh, I'm sorry, wait. No, we can keep talking about Paul George. I'll come back to this other one who has seemed to repair his image this most recent playoff run, particularly when Kawhi Leonard got hurt. Um, and he really seemed to show that he can ball out. While I agree that he has definitely improved him at his image, some of these takes are a bit, bit much. First off, we're going to start off with Boogie, who was with the Clippers this year, who said, I don't know where the trolling bullshit comes from. That's one of the most special dudes ever to lace his shoes up. Another coming from Seth Greenberg of Get Up ESPN said, Paul George is one of the top five players in the NBA. I'm calling buffoonery on both of those. Not that Paul George is not a great basketball player, but in terms of him being special, I think that that argument has kind of died down a bit because I think he has regressed a bit. It's great how he played when Kawhi went, got hurt. But I'm not calling you special unless you play like that year round. And then in terms of him being a top five player in the NBA, 
don't know. I'm not even gonna entertain that one. So yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on both. Yeah, I think so. I just see I'm calling it buffoonery, but I'm gonna go to the boogie coming. I can understand the visual aspect of saying Paul George, especially because the reality of it is, if he is a special player, like he's a guy that's six nine, he can handle the ball like a point guard. He's smooth. He has a jumper. He can get to the rack. He has good athleticism. So as far as being a talent, he is a special talent. Now, as far as being a special player, when it comes down to being on the court and performing, he's had a lot of moments where he's shown that that isn't the case. But I definitely think he is a special talent. I just don't think that he can put that special talent to use when he's on the court, especially in big crunch time moments. All right, so speaking of a player who has talent and potential, let's talk Talon Horton Tucker, who, as we all know, in the Lakers preseason early in the season, was all the rage. Everybody was so excited to see what he could do this year. Well, overall, he didn't do too, too much, but that has not stopped execs from being very high on him. In fact, an Eastern Conference executive believes Talon Horton Tucker deserves a max contract and free agency. Uh, Eric Pincus recently reported that an executive told him the, that the Lakers rising star might receive a max contract if given the chance. Believable or buffoonery, THT deserves a max contract. I mean, this is buffoonery simply because you haven't seen enough of him. Like, yes, he's a, he's a talented player. He shows great promise, but you're giving a max player to someone that doesn't even start. And honestly, in, throughout the majority of the Lakers season before injuries took over, he was sitting on the bench. He really wasn't a focal piece of their team, and he deserves So I definitely don't think he deserves a max contract. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, the season he averaged, what, 9 points, 2.6 assists. I mean, 2.8 assists, 2.6 boards. Yeah, that's not getting max money from me. This is the same, I guess, Eastern exec who would give Dennis Schroeder $120 million because, no, like, you have to – you got to earn it, and he really hasn't earned it. Like, if we just based paying people off of a couple really good games, do you know how many players, and not just basketball, but all sports would just get the bag and then just do nothing else with it? So, no, nah, I'm calling big buffoonery on that one. All right, next up, we just talked about the Clippers. Let's talk Kawhi Leonard, who the Mavericks will apparently will make a hard push to acquire um, in the offseason. Dallas believes that Kawhi Leonard will be intrigued by the idea of joining Luka Doncic this summer. Believable or buffoonery, the Dallas Mavericks are a realistic free agent destination for Kawhi Leonard. I think it's believable simply because the Mavericks say they're a team that has arguably already a top five player. Honestly, top ten, top five player in Luka. And Kawhi is the type of guy that he doesn't care. He just wants to win. And he'll latch on to a team and join a team and win. He did with the Raptors, even though it wasn't it wasn't of his will to go to Toronto, but he went there to credit with Kyle Barry and Pascal Siakam, Fred Matthew, and he won a title. He he left there and went to the Clippers with the intent of winning the title. Yes, he didn't go that way. But he also signed a shorter deal for this exact reason of if it wasn't able to happen, he would still be able to leave and go to another team in his prime. And the reality 
to the Clippers, I mean to the Mavericks, and you can have a viable shot because Luke is a top a top talent. You pray a healthy Kawhi, he's a top talent. And I think that you can have a nice building block to for the foreseeable future to maybe make a run at a championship. Yeah, I'll agree. I think that it's also believable just because once you get a taste of gold, you're going to want to keep tasting it. Kawhi tasted it in San Antonio. He tasted it with the Raptors. And he, like you said, he went to L.A. with the intent of making the Clippers into a championship caliber team. While they are a team that was six games away from the finals who could have won a championship, I mean, it's just it still has to be a frustrating spot to be in just because it feels like it may not happen. Excuse me. Overall, in terms of roster, I think that the Mavericks overall still have work that needs to be done. But Luka is a tremendous player. Luka is a better player than Paul George is right now. So it would definitely be an upgrade in terms of having a partner to play with. Do I really think he would go to Dallas? No, but I do think that it would be something that is intriguing for Kawhi. All right, last piece before we talk the finals. Um, Kevin Love making the roster over Julius Randle has had Twitter and rest of basketball fans up in arms about it. But uh, Team USA director Jerry Kulango sent out an explanation for Kevin Love over Julius Randle and said this. It's because of his international experience. Yes, it's true. Kevin Love hasn't played much these last few years, but his versatility is valuable up front. Well, not everybody is buying that, particularly Jalen Rose, who talked about Kevin Love making the team over Julius Randle and said it was a race thing. He said, Kevin Love is on the team because of tokenism. Don't be scared to make an all-black team representing the United States of America. I'm disappointed by that. Anybody that watched the league this year knows Kevin Love did not have a stellar season, was not the best player on this team, and did not necessarily deserve to be on this squad. So, believable or buffoonery. Kevin Love made the USA team because of tokenism, because you, the team, did not want to send out an all-black squad. I think it's a little, a very small bit of belief in that. And the reason I say small is because the reason I think Julius Randle ultimately didn't make the team is because anybody that follows USA basketball knows that when it comes down, when it comes time for the Olympics and things of that nature, they normally always look to former participants that have played on previous teams. Julius Randle has never played on a team USA. Kevin Love has. Kevin Love does have, and he does have experience playing the international game. Julius Randle does not. And I think that that played a they played a critical part in the reason as to why he played. He joined the team because there's a lot of guys that have the experience, and they probably said no. And he don't want to potentially bring in Julius Randle, who's never played who's never played in any type of international ball in the Olympics. Like we all know that the, even though I feel like even if they bring in Julius Randle, they will win anyway. But it's one of those things where it's like we're going to look for people that have already been in this um pipeline before we look to add for one new. Yeah, I um I I can understand I, I first things first, I think that most of the frustration with this happening is just because it's Kevin Love. If it was another player who made it over Julius Randle, I can't think of one off the top of my head right now, but it would have been like, okay, that makes sense. And then if we're being perfectly honest, 
most white guys in the NBA are European. They're playing for their nation's team. Luka is playing for Slava, Slava Kovania. Um, I messed that up, I know. Uh, Nicole, thank you. Nikola Jokic is playing for Serbia. Like, the best players aren't American in terms of white guys. They're not. And so, of the players who you could potentially think to bring in, there is Kevin Love. Should he have made it? No. Just in terms of talent. But, I mean, who's really asking Kevin Love to come out on this team with such a stacked roster and say, hey, bro, drop, give me 40. Like, he's not going to see that much playing time. So, personally, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. I'm not going to say that I think that the league, that the Team USA just was totally against sending out an all-black team. Real talk, I just think it's more so of he does have that international experience. He is is a more proven veteran than Julius Randle. But like you said, either way, it's not like anybody's going to beat the USA. So, I mean, honestly, who cares? (laughs) When a push comes to shove, it's not that big of a deal. Even though the the Olympics have done some real shady racial stuff, not even just talking about Shakori. I'm talking like um, the ban on the caps for uh, black women with natural hair. They banned the caps that they use because of something to do with natural head shape. That's stupid. And that's now, if you ask me, that sounds racially motivated. That's neither here nor there. The Olympics. But all right, let's talk the NBA Finals. We finally know it will be the West represented by the Phoenix Suns and the East represented by the Milwaukee Bucks. So start things off. Who is each team's biggest X factor in your opinion? Um, for the Suns, I would have to say DeAndre Ayton, simply because he will be matched up against Brook Lopez, who isn't a slouch. Uh, he isn't a bad big, but I think he. He's no, he's not the type of player like in the eyes of Ivan um, Zubac from the Clippers. Like honestly, DeAndre Ayton outplayed him in every step, and I think that um, Brooke Lopez is a guy that he can give him some competition at the five. But if uh, DeAndre Ayton is able to play a all-around good game and have good games, I can definitely see them winning. As far as the as far as the Milwaukee Bucks, I am going to have to say Drew Holiday and not because of offensive reasoning. I would say this is surely because of defense. Because the Suns they have two dynamic guards in Chris Paul and Devin Booker and I feel like if you you're gonna have to slow one of those guys and I don't really think that I think you can throw Drew on Chris Paul, maybe, and you can throw Chris Middleton on Devin Booker, but the reality is, it's like, Drew Holiday is going to have to be the guy that takes the tough matchup and plays and guards the better offensive player. So I have to go with Drew Holiday. All right, I don't want to agree with you on both because those are the two I was going to say. So I'll stick with the DeAndre Aiden one and then. For the Bucks, I think I'll just have to go to the more obvious one of Giannis. Giannis is a huge X factor because we don't even know if Giannis is going to be able to play or not. And I think that his presence in this series is going to really impact how the games go for the Bucks. I know a lot of people, especially out these last two games against Atlanta, are really drinking the Kool-Aid and be like, oh, the Bucks are better without Giannis. Okay, whatever. But 
I thought I disagree with that entirely, but I think that against the Hawks, who are also hurt, who while John Collins is good, they don't necessarily have a big man who can physically match up with Giannis. That's fine, especially with Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, what they're doing. That works. But against a team like the Suns, who are more so well-rounded, particularly in their uh, starting five, they have two really strong guards. They have DeAndre Ayton, who is starting to shape up. You can't just throw that out there without Giannis and think you're going to have much success, especially in the post. So I think that having Giannis there is going to have a big impact for the Bucks. All right, uh, bold predictions for each team. My bold prediction for the Suns is if the Suns win an NBA championship this year, I think Chris Paul retires. I think that he really won't have anything else to prove. And, like, he has had such an illustrious and storied career that what better way to go out than on top? And he would do that with the Suns when everybody was – not everybody, but most people didn't think that he could do it, thought this was over, thought that he could never win one. And not only did he did it, do it, but he did it with the team that one would argue compared to his time with the Rockets and with the Clippers. And you could make an argument that the Suns don't have the talent that either of those teams have. They're the team that they least expected him to win a championship with. So that's my bold prediction for um, the Suns. I'm sorry, go ahead, man. No, I was going to say, oh, so we're doing the East team? Yeah, East team. Since you beat the Suns first, I'm gonna I do the Bucks. For me, my bold prediction for the Bucks is if they if Giannis is able to come back and they lose still with him coming back, Giannis leaves Milwaukee. I honestly I wouldn't blame him. I would not blame him. Cause I think I think both teams match up very well in terms of health. If, of course if everybody is healthy. So yeah, I, I if they lost, I don't blame him. I think Mike Boonehoser would be gone. Yeah. Like, he would, they wouldn't let him back on the plane. Like, regardless, like, he's not going back. All right, now the fun part. We are going to pick the 2020-2021 NBA champion. Ethan, who you got? I'll let you go first. Phoenix. Like, I think, I think this is, like, I think this is a given. As long as Chris Paul stays healthy, I think Phoenix has it simply because overall, I think that they have the type of, I won't even say overall. Honestly, I think Chris Paul just has the internal fortitude to bring him through. I think everyone he has a fire, he's a competitor, and he wants to win. And I think that. Honestly, I think Marcy Williams is a better coach than um, Mike Budenholzer. I we agree. Know, we know that Mike Budenholzer has received criticism in the past for being not being able to make adjustments. I think that Marcy Williams is a superior coach. I think Chris Paul is the best. I know Giannis, if he plays, Giannis will be the best player on the court. But... I would take Chris Paul over Giannis in a seven-game series simply because Chris Paul is in year 16. He's seen it all. He's been through it all. He's never won a championship, so he's probably the most hungry he's ever been. It's literally four games away from him winning a championship. And quite honestly, he's the type of guy that when you put the back against, when he's his back and up against the wall, he's proven that he can come up in big games. 
Giannis has improved me. And honestly, I hate to be real, but Giannis' game is so flawed that if you can come up with a good plan to stop him, and you also, uh, something, another, I know we didn't break it up, but another X factor is the Suns have Jay Crowder on their team. Jay Crowder played on that Miami team last year that beat the Bucks in the first round last year. He's, he was a part of this defensive scheme that stopped Giannis in the playoffs. So that's knowledge that you can bring into the front of defending Giannis. So I got to go Phoenix. I've been wrestling with this for a bit, but I'm going to say Bucks in seven. And I 150% agree with what you said about Chris Paul. I do think that this is the hungriest he's ever been. He is, in terms of just everything that goes into being a player, the intangibles of the leadership, the intestinal fortitude, all that good stuff, he's the best player in this series. And I think that goes without a doubt. I just feel like I just feel like the Bucks, while a lot of people are counting them out, I do think that, like I said, I feel like they match up well against what the Suns want to do. I don't think that the only way that you're going to shut down Chris Paul and Ben Simmons, I mean not Ben Simmons, um, Chris Paul and Devin Booker the same night is they both have to have bad shooting nights. And that's just not going to happen. However, I feel like with Drew Holiday, he'll be able to slow down one of them enough for their post players to really be able to do what they do, or at least for Chris Middleton to get hot, especially if Giannis is going to be available. While Jay Crowder was there on that um, Heat team that did beat them, I mean, it really wasn't all Jay Crowder who did it. It was a it took a job to do it, and DeAndre Ayton is a very strong uh, defender. He's shown that, but I mean, there have other been games when he's just been getting dogged out by better guys. We saw it with Nikola Jokic, and I feel like the same thing's going to happen with Giannis. I feel like he and Giannis are going to have to go blow for blow quite a bit, particularly because Giannis's game is so flawed that he's going to have to be in the post, which is where DeAndre Ayton resides. But I do think that Giannis is going to win more of those matchups than lose, especially if he can be healthy. And I just think that in terms of it being a series, I feel like it's going to be a grueling series where both teams are going to have to give it their all. It's not going to be an easy one. And I think that for the Suns, I don't want to say that they've been running on fumes because they are generally a young team. But aside from those few games by campaign where he's really just kind of blown, like it's really just been Devin Booker. It's been... DeAndre Ayton and this Ben Chris Paul. Whereas with the Bucks, they've had to get something from everybody to really make things shake, especially when Giannis would be shut down or Giannis would be hurt. And I think that they are just more well equipped to use all of their team, all of their roster to make things shake as opposed to the Suns. So I got Bucks in seven. I could totally see the Suns winning it, but I, I'm I'm gonna go Bucks. But Pushed on the shove, I still can see Mike Budenholzer off the team, regardless yeah. of how this year goes. But I, I was also going to say, the reason it's difficult for me to go with the Bucks is because they have a lot of guys that are inconsistent. True. Like, even, like, let's say Giannis doesn't play, and then Chris Middleton is the best player. I stated earlier, he's very Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Very much so. Like, one, one game, he can drop 32, and he can shoot amazing. And then the next game, you'll look up, and he only has, like, like 12, and he shot a bad percentage. 
the same thing with Drew Holiday. Like, offensively, he can be very up and down. And I think against against a team like Phoenix where it's like if Devin Booker and Chris Paul are able to both go and be productive, you can't really have that rocky shooting performance. And the reality I also didn't think about it is Brooke Lopez is the X factor for the simple fact of the way he defends the pick and roll. Right. We know that Chris Paul is a master running the pick and roll. And if Brooke Lopez drop plays that drop coverage that he normally plays in their normal defensive scheme, Chris Paul is going to eat that alive because Chris Paul is one of the top three best mid-range shooters in the NBA. So you're going to drop and get him the shot that he's taking a thousand times in his career. And Chris Paul can literally, he did it against the, um, he did it against the Clippers to end the game. Like, he, every time, he, he wasn't shooting threes, he was there to run the pick and roll, snake dribble, pull up from the free throw line, the free throw line is thin, and it was money. So that's the thing. And Devin Booker is very similar. Devin Booker is also a mid-range assassin. So how are they how are they going to integrate defending the pick and roll with Brooke Lopez? Because the reality is, like, you play the drop coverage, you give me two guys shots that they love to take and want to take. And then if you switch, you're going to put, are you still going to put Brooke Lopez on that island because he's a slow foot defender? So that's also another reason why I think Phoenix, because defensively, they're matching, they don't, I feel like, even with Giannis on the court, I feel like they won't be able to match up because they're going to give, they're going to play into the strength of the Suns, which is their two best ball handlers and scoring options. They play in the mid range a lot. And if you play drop coverage, then you're going to get turned, you're going to get hit a lot, yeah. basically. Yeah, I, Brooke Lopez definitely is an important figure of that, but I do think that we talk about Mike Budenholzer a lot and not him not making the judgments. I think that. Because of the stage that this is on, and I know I keep saying if Giannis is healthy, but I think that this is the time. Like, we've seen in past series, is Giannis going to defend the best player? Is Giannis going to defend the best player? We've had that question asked many times. And let's be honest, he didn't really step up to defend the best player. He just followed assignments. I think that with so much on the line in these next few games, I think that he's going to say, F what coach is talking about. I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. So if it comes down to situations where he and – uh, Brooke Lopez switch on those um, pick and rolls. And if he has to defend as opposed to Brooke Lopez, I feel like he's going to be able to take that challenge. He's going to want that challenge just because of what's at stake. It's not just a regular season game. It's not just a first or second round playoff game. These are the finals. This is what you are playing for. This is what everybody comes onto the court for. If they really want to have success, they want to win a ring. So, like I said, I mean, I could really go either way, but I think – I still am going to stick with Bucks exiting it out, but I would be very happy to see Chris Paul get a ring. But that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by your truly fellow expert writers. Free episodes of our lovely podcast, our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you got to say before we close this bad boy out? Tighten up. Your listeners, Jim. Yeah, okay, if Suns and Ford, you know what? You know, we'll make a bet on that. But uh, I really got nothing besides for football fans. Um, within this next week or so, I'll be releasing my uh, East Team's Best Offseason Edition. Um, that'll be coming out this upcoming week for NFL teams. So be on the lookout for that. Um, 
Also, as not this month, of course, but next month, as we get closer to football, fantasy football time is starting up. And for our uh, X-Report Fantasy Football League, the draft is, let me pull it up, it's August. I think it's August 31st. Don't quote me. But if you are interested in joining the X-Report um, Fantasy Football League, we can make a spot for you. Um, of course, the only rules are if you're going to join, you have to have a WWE-inspired name. Literally, everybody in the league has one that's uh, to do. But, yeah, the draft is going to be in late August. I'll have more information about that coming up. But, yeah, so be on the lookout for that. Football fans, got stuff coming for you. So uh, thank you all so much for listening, though, and we'll see you all next time.